welcome to Bradley's Chat. This is Bradley, and I have a special guest for you tonight. Kisanis. That's right. We've actually tricked an executive board member into coming in our grasp. And he's going to be here to answer uh, questions that I have and that have been sent in regarding the Ninth Age Project. And um, well, let's just skip all the usual nonsense and get right to it. Kisanis, how are you doing? Hey, man. Good. So, executive board member, that sounds important. How, how how'd you come across how'd you get how'd you pull off that gig i um because i haven't quit yet, I guess. <laughs> no i um i i was on the advisory board for the last uh oh geez almost two years now and uh-huh. um you know basically i i've been running a couple of little side tasks i was originally um part of the lecturing group which is the proofreading and um uh, helps with rules clarity and some of the background writing just to help with consistency and clarity on those fronts. And um, through that, I just, uh, for whatever reason, they decided to trust my judgment. So here I am. <laughs> well, you're showing excellent judgment by joining this podcast. Let me tell you. <laughs> Brand new. Um, I, I, I enjoy it. What can I say? <laughs> awesome. Glutton for punishment. Um, so, so tell us about yourself, where are you from? How'd you get involved in the hobby? Um, what are your current, uh, what have you got on the board right now as far as hobbying goes and that kind of thing? Um, so I got started in the hobby, um, back when I was, oh geez, probably about 10 years old or so playing, um, Warhammer Fantasy 5th edition. Um, my grandfather did model trains my dad did um scale model airplanes so i was around those sides of the hobbies for quite a while and then um a friend of mine his brother had a bunch of high elves from the old take the old model pose guys with this the the shear and the spiel uh the the spear and the shield yeah. and you know i basically was just like what is that that looks cool yeah. and then um as soon as I found out that basically it's like, yeah, it's like building a scale model, except instead of putting it on a shelf to do nothing with, you actually can play a game and do stuff with it. And then it's fantasy stuff, which is awesome because like I was fresh into like a bunch of stuff like Dragonlance and Magic the Gathering. And so the idea that there's something else out there that I could get into that kind of combined all of those seemed really cool for me. So that's how I got into it. Um, played fantasy in 40k for a long time, got into historical gaming probably about 10 years ago. Um, so I do a bit of historical gaming as well and yeah, um, where I am, I'm just outside of Toronto and Ontario, Canada. So, um, I won't say my actual town cause you probably never find it on the map, but basically <laughs> if you see Toronto, I'm like a couple, like a hundred kilometers West of there. And, um, yeah, it's, it's good. We've actually, we've grown a good community out this way. We started from pretty much nothing. There was me and one other guy playing in the, the nearby city. And then we've now grown it. We've probably got a steady group of about 10 active players from that. And, um, it's growing right now. We have a slow grow group that we got started on and there's, I think about 18 people active on the slow grow. So it's, it's been a good, good few years of working to grow a community from basically nothing are you guys playing the ninth age too as well as historical games or, or is this yeah this, of... this, the community that um we got started with is pure ninth age um, oh wow 18 people that's great yeah so there's it's a little bit of um 
I said it's it's varying degrees of activity, but I'd say like between people who are painting and posting, not always able to make it out to play games and stuff. But I'd right. say it's probably well, yeah. anywhere from um, fourteen to eighteen people that are actively posting stuff. And yeah, like I said, we we started from pretty much just two people, and we've grown it up to there. Um, there's been some good people um, really kind of taking over that side of things, so I don't have to worry about pushing it, which is good because i have a small kid and i have another kid on the way so my free time is going to be disappearing pretty quickly you're a busy um, man <laughs> yeah it's, it'll be good to have that so yeah that's uh that's kind of my situation my hobby situation in a nutshell as far as what i'm working on um right now i'm just trying to finish up some orcs and goblins that i've been working on for the slow grow group that we have so i'm just kind of working on some characters that i've got a uh, unit champion a standard bear and a nightmare miniatures uh goblin shaman Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, what what army do you do? You attend a lot of tournaments, or do you mainly play friendly games? Or so I never played tournaments before I got into Ninth Age. Oh, um, really? Never? Even with forty no. k and with with fifth edition no. and all through it. So huh? yeah. So I was primarily playing the store, and then as we got older and we got like our own dedicated gaming spaces at our parents' houses, or like my buddy just converted his um, the, his parents' pool table into a gaming table. We you know played in basements and just hung out and, and it was pure casual fluff you know completely f- for fun i didn't pay attention really to any of the tournament side because that was never something i was interested in right mostly because i knew if you wanted to break the rules you could break the rules right that's that right. was always something like i don't want to go up against someone who's going to just completely cheese things out so we played very casual gentlemen's agreements very narrative games um very scenario driven situations I got, I played one 40k tournament and it was a, a four-player team tournament, and that was just because it was at a point where it's just like, look, it's just an excuse to like play as a team. It was the group of us that always played in the basement together as a team, uh-huh. and we're like, whatever, let's play five games in a weekend and see how it goes, right? Yeah. And um, I hated it. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. <laughs> kind of stressful, um, right? Well, it's just like I knew I wasn't showing up with the most competitive list but it was like i showed up and there was guys literally like you know there's no point in me putting my army on the table i i played imperial <laughs> guard and i shot the daylights out of my opponent and i think i managed to inflict one wound the entire game oh yeah i've been there and, and done that yeah, yeah and i'm just like this is insanity this like how do people even like the and just like the crazy combos and just the win at all costs like breaking of the game that happened in that i'm like the concept of tournaments is appealing but uh-huh. not this game right and that's kind of the, the, the stance that i took so as far as 40k is concerned i actually um have reverted back to wanting to get back into second edition 40k and playing uh-huh. that more as a casual um scenario driven situation i just feel like for what i want out of the hobby that's the best use of my 40k miniatures and then my time as a hobbyist um but it was because of that that then i kind of got looking into things i discovered the ninth age after um aos was released and you know aos is great if you like skirmish games and that's the kind of thing that you want that's fine but for Mm. me i wanted my ranks and flakes so there's tons of other skirmish games out there i didn't want another one i wanted my ranks and flakes try kings of war didn't really like that again it's not anything bad it's just not what i was looking for right and then i completely fell in love with the concept of what the ninth age was doing you know it's it's um 
this idea that basically hundreds of people around the world can just roll up their sleeves and say, no, we can do it ourselves, just seemed like a really, really cool idea and a cool concept to me. And that's how I got following it. And then um, my background, I, I went to university for history and German, and I studied to teach ESL for a little bit. So I offered my services to help with proofreading and, um, and clarity. And that's how I kind of got into being staff. So you're kind of like an unsung hero, right? You don't have the glamorous job. You didn't have the glamorous job. You're in the back no. room, you know, with a lamp on late at yep. night after work, just proofreading, you know. Yep. That's yeah, nice. I would just sit there on my lunch break and just, you know, read pre-release stuff, looking for little issues and, and everything from like minor grammar consistency issues to answering questions from some of the rules clarity guys who maybe right. English isn't their first language, but, you know, they understand the rules really well, but they're not too sure on how to phrase things or, or if this is the right way to word it. Yeah, and you're translating that to something that's, you know, readable, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's just kind of, it's, it's you know, it's, it's half half clarity, half traditional proofreading, and then a little bit on the background side would be a little bit of editing, just to kind of give it um, an editorial look over to, to say, you know, okay, like this is how you're wording it, but maybe if you kind of just change it, there's a little bit of, you know, changes of voice or, or changes of tone. And that's usually right. more just a recommendation. Obviously the background team has their own. It's just, we just look at it from a proofreading and an editorial side, and then they'll go back and discuss it and then resubmit. And it's just kind of, it's just a process to make sure that again, you know, with everybody being um, divided around the world, different languages are as, as mother tongues, it's, it's helpful to have someone who can kind of go through that. And that was a really nice um, way I felt I could contribute back to the people who are making this game that I love. I think I think a lot of people like me who had first heard of the Ninth Age, but you always heard like, oh, it's not very popular, or it's not very organized, or it's not this. When you actually go to the website and you actually read into it, I mean, it's very organized. Like, I'm surprised and amazed that, like, a group of volunteers got together and are this well organized. I mean, there's several teams. I mean, you've got – it's it's crazy. It's just – I can't believe how organized yeah. it is. It's better, or, and, it's more organized than a lot of than a lot of than a lot of commercial <laughs> entities, really. The um, the organizational is is usually an ongoing uh, trial and error uh, uh -huh. situation, right? Like the the structure, systems, and procedures we have in place are constantly evolving because of the unique environment that we are, right? So, right. Oh yeah. The, the perfect example of that is the um, is the lab process with the books. We came up with the initial version of that because of the shortcomings we ran into doing Warriors of the Dark Gods and the Demon Legions, which, well, were great books. Um, we're just like, this This is going to take, you know, every book's going to take a year to produce. We can't do right. that. We need to figure out a way to take our limited resources and somehow make things go faster. Uh -huh. So some people came up with, um, who are, you know, in their professional day jobs, they were um, production consultants for, like, tech companies and software firms, and they... Wow. Um, but again, because the hobby has such a diverse range of people and their expertise, they looked it over and said, okay, well, this is a way that we could do it. And, you know, looking at the software industry and it was a very good starting point. We're constantly learning lessons based on the unique situation we have and the unique, um, the unique production system that we have to basically go through because, you know, in a normal office, you can just take this thing and go down to the office or call this person up and just talk it over, discuss it, whatever. There's, right. there's company resources at hand. Here, it's, it's like you post something and you got to wait, like, sometimes days to get a response just because people will respond when they can in their right. spare time. 
So and, and that, to get all those responses work. and get them organized and then move them up the chain, that seems like it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's stuff that like in a normal in a normal situation in a normal company, it would happen in a matter of sometimes minutes, right? You wouldn't even realize right. it. But everything slows down because of the realities that we have. So I mean, the project tries to basically minimize as much of that delay as possible by. Um, and again, it's it's an imperfect process, but we try to empower right. people to basically say, okay, here's a parameter of what we need you to do. Just go do it. Um, we'll check in every once in a while, or you know, you can report back every once in a while. But like, we don't have time to micromanage stuff. Um, just even though sometimes we may want to, we just you know, it's right. just one of things where we have to just right. sit back and deal with it. And just you know, if we need to go back after the fact, we'll go back after the fact. Because when you're dealing with people several time zones away, and it's basically developed by text because it's all through the forum because that's the reality of, of how we can keep things organized and track who's doing right. what. Um, you know, there, there's, you know, things take longer to do. And so we try and let people do as much as they can without um, being babysat. And it has its ups, it has its downs. Um, but I think overall it's managed to produce some pretty cool stuff. Um, it's, it's been pretty impressive what we've managed to do with basically nothing but, um, <laughs> a dedicated attitude and um, <laughs> and a lot of and a lot of coffee being provided by spouses. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So, how, what does your spouse think about your involvement with it with the Ninth Age Project? Because it's got to take up some of your time. Um, she just kind of refers to it as my game stuff and doesn't really pay much attention. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a thing. I sit down and I, I work on stuff and I do uh -huh. things in the background when uh, she's gone to bed. So I try and squeeze some of it in here and there, or I, I right. monitor the forums um, as I can from my phone. But for the most part, it's, you know, she just kind of listens. It's like, there's more, there's worse things I could be spending my time and money doing. So. Oh, absolutely. Absol <laughs> absolutely. Watch the news and you can see that for sure. Daily thing. <laughs> Um, well, it sounds like the lab process was a success, considering that they're continuing with it, right? So, I mean, the main thing is, is it's um, the individual books. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like like anything that you, that is a creative development is, it has its um, it has its processes. But I mean, the fact that we've been able to do in the last two years, Infernal Doors, um, Dread Elves, The Vermin Swarm now the KO, uh, Kingdom of Ecotween KOE and Soaring Ancients is on its way. I mean, that's that's five books in development kind of in parallel at the wow. same time, whereas before in that time we would have maybe only released two books. And so, so it, you have it, different labs for each of those going on? Yeah, yeah. so there's different wow. teams working on each of those threats. So I think right now we're kind of at a situation where we're trying to figure out, okay, like this is the most we've ever had going concurrently for the core project. Uh -huh. um, is it working? Is it not working? What's not working? How do we change that? How do we adjust that? And that's something um, that the executive board is constantly trying to evaluate and assist with to make sure that people beneath us have the resources that we can give them within, you know, obviously the, the but it's not like we can just sit there and put a request out and say, yeah, let's hire more staff because we don't have a budget. And right we can't you know the, to find the people who are as qualified as possible is really just kind of luck on the draw of application and dedication and some people apply they think they can do it uh then real life gets in the way they move uh change jobs etc and then they have to drop out because again it's real life 
So we try to do that as much as we can. We try to keep things as accountable as we can. We try to keep track of things. We have some fairly professional HR procedures in place that we try to keep track on, but ultimately we're at the mercy of being a volunteer organization. Right. Right. So, I mean, yeah. So you got to treat everybody politely. Even sometimes it's probably difficult, you know, you get certain situations come up, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, do you have trouble communicating with, uh, like the labs, the teams that you're supervising personally, do you do you find communication as well, and and they're open to listening to you? And so the main thing with um, the way the structures work is is yeah, I mean the executive board, and then right beneath the executive board is the advisory board, which is kind of um, it's it's there to kind of act as a pool of people that we can lean on to get their opinion of. Um, uh-huh. So when I was advisory board, it was basically like. Um, it was a non-voting opinion, right? So, like, right. I was allowed to chime in on just about anything. I could talk and discuss about anything, but when it came to actual decision making, I didn't have a vote. Um, so, the executive board is the people who actually have a vote. But the thing you got to remember is, executive board is very macro, right? So, we will vote on who to pick for the next book, but we won't control that's actually going on for that book right we basically say okay here's this and then we'll go back to the other teams and basically be like okay who do you think is a good fit for the book um who do you think is is a good availability for it so like we try to keep our noses out of a lot of that stuff because we don't have the time and it kind of really can get in the way of things if we if we start micromanaging stuff right try to yeah we try to keep that away so the actual labs I'm not involved in it. I can see what's going on with it. I can monitor it. If I see anything that I think might be a concern, I can reach out to the managers of certain task teams. But the whole point is that I'm not supposed to put my nose into the business of that team because I have to trust that they know what they're doing. And it's only if I know that they're deviating from um, the guidelines, if I know that there's like you know obvious personnel conflicts people just you know like a flame war behind the scenes and stuff like that like yeah obviously we can step in for that we haven't had to thank goodness as far as i've as long as i've been uh, able to access it so it's um it's very much a process of hopefully we pick the right people and put it through and then we adjust manage and assist as required and as requested i think i think that's great that i think you sound like the perfect man for the job because i think probably i agree with you i think the last the last thing teams would need would be like an executive board member that's a micromanager, you know, that's wanting to dictate yep. every last thing. That would probably slow down the process and just turn yep. into total chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And there is, a, I mean, there is situations where that comes up where we step in to fill voids, right? Like people drop yeah. out of the project because of real life. So sometimes we'll, we'll step in and get involved just to assist and carry things over the finish line. Right. Like, right. you know, if you want to make a football analogy, it's just like, you know, there's a guy and he's, he's right at the five year line and then he <laughs> has to disappear and someone needs to carry the ball across. That's sometimes things that happens with leadership. So I did get involved with some of the layout stuff just because it was, you know, we ran into some issues with staffing and certain projects need to be done. So I've been helping with some of that just because I have some of that expertise as well. And, you know, when things push comes to shove, the project still needs to kind of move things forward. So is it it ever perfect? No, but we try to, we try to make sure that people have what they can do and have the resources at, at hand so that they can, um, so that they can try and get the job done as best they can. Yeah, and I think that's that's all you can ask. 
you know, anywhere, whether it be volunteer or commercial or, or whatever. I think that's all you can yep. ask is for people just yep. to do the best that they can. Um, yep. So, I under, so you have the executive board. Who's above the executive board? Is it just like the I've heard about these mysterious Scandinavian lawyers, right? Is that who is that who owns this or runs it or? So I mean, the project was um, uh-huh. was created by a, a, a couple of um, former ETC players, I believe. I, again, I, I don't oh know the, former the players, bi- okay. Yeah, the, I don't know the full biography of guys, but you know, uh-huh. they basically were um, uh, they were the ones who founded the project. But because of real life, they've decided that you know the actual day to day management isn't something they can do because of their professional demands. But right. they they ponied up the original genesis of the project so oh, nice. um uh they're the founders and basically the point is is the founders um help pick the executive board and basically say okay we trust you to basically continue the vision that we started with go to it and like oh I, wow I don't talk to them i you know like we if they want to they can read the reports but basically they are there to basically um make sure that the spirit of what the original project was of, you know, keeping it free, keeping it community based. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like just, just trying to keep that initial um, passion there in the upper management, but they let us do the day to day. Like they, oh, they wow. do not step in and micromanage and, or do anything else. Because again, the whole point is they empower us to do our jobs. We empower the people beneath us to do their jobs. And then hopefully the jobs get done and a good product comes out of it. See, that's a good culture, I think. I think they established yeah. a good culture, and I think you guys are carrying on really well. Um, how many executive board members are there exactly? I think there's five. Oh, really? Only five of you? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, anything bigger and it gets too hard to manage, anything smaller and it can be too much power in a few people. So five seems to be a good number. Right. Um, I don't know exactly how that was settled on. That was all before my time. <laughs> I just, yeah, yeah. All I know is, is I'm number five and there's five of us so that there's no deadlocks on votes or anything. So you can tell me honestly, do you have a nemesis on the executive board? Do you have someone you can't stand? I won't tell them. Don't worry. They'll yeah, never hear this. It's Mr. Owl. <laughs> <laughs> if he's listening to this, he's going to laugh and roll his eyes at me right now. So you, you butt heads with Mr. Owl? do you no he's an awesome guy okay awesome yeah that's great um so going back to it i i noticed there's a new vision team you guys are creating can you go into a little yeah. detail about that and you're looking for volunteers right now is that correct yeah, so, so that was actually um an initiative that was um before i joined but it was kind of it got announced basically around the time that i joined the executive board and uh-huh. um yeah i didn't really have I didn't really take part in that discussion during um, my time on advisory board just because of some other commitments. I just said, you know, I trust you people to make the right decision there. Um, so, I mean, really most of what I've read into it is the same stuff that's been publicly released because I, I I didn't have a vote when it was decided upon. And, right. um, I, you know, did I agree with the concept? Yes. Did I get myself involved in the nitty gritty when I was advisory board? No, because it was something that I'm like, I, I – I don't have an opinion one way or the other, so I trust right. whoever's gonna, whoever wants to lead this uh-huh. to make the right decision. Um, but I know that the main thing of it is is basically um, to help guide the project forward, um, to help the project find its place within the indie or gaming scene. Um, I often basically compare the Ninth Age as the ultimate project in um, self-published indie war gaming. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what we are: is a self-published indie war game. Oh yeah, and. Um, 
so the whole point is pay attention to the market as a whole, pay attention to um, trends that are happening and help us to make better decisions for the future so that we have a, a stronger place within the wider wargaming scene. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know I know. locally, um, the first time I saw the Ninth Age actually being played was at Adepticon. Then the following year, they said due to space, but I have a feeling it was because they weren't a corporate-run thing whole, that they that got kind of moved yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, and that was the whole thing, and I don't know the full drama behind that because, again, that was before yeah. I got really involved. But I know uh-huh. that there's a lot of... Um, it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So, I mean, the whole thing is, like, you know, it's been, I mean, the ninth age started in 2015. We are six years, almost, you know, coming up on our seventh year. Uh-huh. Nobody thought we would survive this long. A lot of the naysayers said we would all flutter and die out. And in all honesty, um, I think I think we're going to be around for quite a while. I, I'm not really too concerned for long-term projects, so long as um, certain key passionate people are able to keep their time volunteered and as long as you know quite honestly so long as a couple hundred people around the world keep playing this game and, and are oh, yeah. active and involved in it we don't really care because we don't you know we, we don't have um product to sell we don't have inventory to move we don't have uh, quarterly reports to meet you know the, the whole incentive is we're doing this because we think it's cool and fun to do and we hope you think it's cool and fun to play and we hope you Absolutely. play it and we hope you um you know if you think you've got a skill to add we we hope that you decide to add to it it's it's you know we're we're not reliant on we don't measure our success by any of the same metrics that other war games do so right. we we can be much more adaptable to the changes in the market because of that. Oh yeah, you definitely have. There's definitely advantages and definite disadvantages as well when you compare yourself to like a corporate entity. I imagine so. Yeah, but uh-huh. and even just like another like indie indie game, like like if you look at some of the other stuff out there, like some of the stuff that like Osprey's been putting out, mm-hmm. or um, uh, some of the stuff that like Warlord's been putting out. But even some of the other like indie games that you'll see in the historical scene, where it's like someone's going through and they're doing publishing and there's overhead and there's cost and there's distribution, like that still has an effect and the fact that we you know our weakness is we don't have any of that so it hurts our ability to market ourselves but the strength is is it means we literally just have the website as our overhead right that is it we we don't have we don't have boxes of books in my basement that i have to try and you know go to conventions and try and hawk we don't have um you know miniatures that they're sitting on a shelf waiting to be shipped out we you're don't not you're not selling that. you're not selling them out of the trunk of your car in the parking lot at your job <laughs> no no <laughs> I, w- I would no. expect that kind of dedication from a board member, okay? I'm just saying, all right? It's the first time you disappointed me. <laughs> yeah, I probably should start doing that, but I think my bosses would look down upon it if I did. <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. Um, do you have time to stick around for a little bit more after the break? Yeah, yeah. Okay, awesome. And we'll be right back in a couple minutes. All right, we're back with Kasanis, executive board member with the Ninth Age Project. He's actually Canadian, so Canada does exist to all you flat earthers out there. Um, so let me ask you a couple questions about Canada since I have you on. Um, how does Canada, like, you know, the Scottish, they kind of have their independence, you know, they're in the UK, but they're independent, you know. 
the Australians, you know, they're known for their, you know, independence. How do you compare, like, does Canada have, like, a national, like, I mean, how do, I don't know, I just never, you know what I mean? Like, do Canadians have, like, a big self-identity, too, like the other countries do, or are you all? Um, I mean, there's, there's the joke that, like, Canada basically identifies itself as being whatever is not America. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it just kind of depends on whatever the, the the attitude in the states is is we just try and go in the opposite direction and that's not know. a bad idea on, a lot of time whole, yeah but then like you know like we've got um we've we've got our, our our own attitudes within you've got the french in quebec you got people out west um, uh-huh. and you know there's, there's there's its own levels of local and regional um uh, i guess you could say um pride oh yeah <laughs> within well, there that obviously has its own thing so i mean like we've 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 got a little bit of everything up this way well we've we've tried to invade you a couple times and you keep kicking our butts so i mean i think we just gave up <laughs> that, that reminds me i was looking up rules for american war of independence the, uh, the other night <laughs> did you ever look at the ones from um jim perky's men in miniature site those are really good no but i was looking at um completely unrelated to ninth age but i was looking to uh what was the rules here um British Grenadier. I've heard of those. I've never looked at yeah. them though, but I've heard it's of them. A, it's, a, it's an American War of Independence um, adaptation of uh, General de Brigade. Oh, nice. So yeah. uh, it looks to be a little bit more in-depth. I was originally looking at it starting with Black Powder, but I, I just have a feeling the it'll be a good pl- Black Powder will be a good place to start, but I don't see it as having the complexity that I would like. Right. Seeing as I'm someone who plays Ninth Age, obviously I like a certain degree of complexity in my games. Absolutely. Um, so I was looking at something that has a little bit more more complexity, more depth. I have, you know, the the time and the room to kind of learn something a little more complicated. So that's what I was looking at for uh, for historical rules the other night. Well, if you want something more complicated, Donald Featherstone wrote a book on the American War of Independence in the 60s and uh, actually have it on Kindle. And he's got a couple sets of rules in there, and they're quite complex, but they, <laughs> they look a lot of fun, though. If you're into individual figure movement and that kind of thing, but yeah. I'm always ready and willing to try a new game system, uh, (laughs) especially for historicals. Not Uh always ready and willing to invest in a new game system, but if someone wants to put up a game and say, yeah, you know, come over, roll some dice, it's going to be really complicated in depth and probably a little over the top, I'll I'll probably always say, yeah, sure, why not? Because it's just an excuse to play play toy soldiers, right? That's that's kind of the end of the day. Did you ever play Johnny Reb in, in the American Civil War rules? I haven't, but there's a local convention up my way that um, uh, everybody should check out called Hot Lead, and I know uh-huh. some guys have run some jo- some uh, Johnny Reb stuff there. I've just never uh, signed up for a game. It's usually it's very popular when they run it, so it usually signs up fast because it's very yeah. first come first served on the sign up, and um, it, it looks like fun. Um, it was American Civil War that actually got me into the idea of doing American War of Independence because the guy uh-huh. ran a 15 millimeter. Uh, Civil War scenario, and I'm like, this this is fun. I could do this. Is that what scale you're going to do the American War of Independence in? 15 yeah, millimeter. Yeah. Okay. 15 millimeter. Yeah. What who what what figures are you using? If you don't want me asking. Um, probably either Pity, Peter Pig or Old Glory. I think. Yeah, those are good. Uh, Stone yeah. Mountain. Have you ever heard of Stone Mountain miniatures? I have heard of them. I've not seen them. They're they're excellent. I just want to say yeah. that they're excellent. I don't know if they're as good as like Peter Pig because Peter Pig is pretty amazing, right? So. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Um, the at 15 millimeter and again compared to what i get painting with with ninth age stuff is Uh that's that's why i like historical is i find that sometimes it's very it's simpler it's faster it's easier to do the painting in the building for oh yeah 
so for that you know i i'd like the detail but i don't actually want to get the overly detailed stuff because right right now i'm painting a very overly detailed goblin shaman and while it's cool i'm looking at there's probably like what 30 mushrooms on this guy i need to paint and oh. it's just, just you know it's oh. really nice it's 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 a nice old school style sculpt but it's gonna take me a while to do why do you think i'm, I'm doing empires my first army i don't want to work that hard i'm trying <laughs> to keep it trying to keep it simple yeah um, yeah. yeah so so having so yeah so 15 millimeter american war of independence it's something i've been wanting to do i've got a couple minis but i gotta strip them and respray them and um yeah, it's something I want to get into. Nice. I actually tried to paint some, or I'm attempting to paint some 10 millimeter uh, uh, Seven Years War guys from Old Glory to play uh, for King or Empress. I played that at the Seven Years War convention recently. It looks like a really fun. It's a really fun game, but it's pretty nice. probably too simple. Probably too yeah. simple for your taste, but uh, that's what I like. <laughs> like. I said I'll never say no if 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 we ever get together and there's a game. Uh, oh, we will. I'm gonna go to bit. Hot Lead. I'll be at Hot Lead. I think. When is Hot Lead? Yeah. Uh, so it's right now, I think it's going to be in 2022, the week after Adepticon. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I might, I might go to the, I'll definitely go to like the ninth age tournament that's down the street from Adepticon, but I don't think I'll go back to Adepticon, you know, if I don't really see the need for it. You, you gotta be into a lot of the latest and greatest of the more mainstream stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, if that's, if that's your thing, then awesome. It's like, you know, it's an awesome mecca for that. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten more and more into indie games. And I think yeah. it's just because I like to have, you know, the ability to play multiple games with the same collection. Right. And, you know, as a consumer, I want to make sure that there's, there, you know, there's, there's lots of options and choice out there, and I, I want to just try a little bit of everything. It's it's, right. it's like being at the ice cream buffet. You want a little bit of everything on that Sunday. Absolutely. Have you ever tried writing your own rules? Doing your own um, rules a little bit at all, or I did a little bit when I was in, uh-huh. I, I did a little bit when I was university, and it's just like this is something that seems like a cool thing to do until I start doing it. And I'm like, right. this is not something I am good at. <laughs> just it's to, hard. I've just determined it? it. Yeah, and, and yeah. like watching what. The, the different guys do in the ninth age project like watching uh certain lab teams get together or, or certain development stuff i'm like the only role i could ever see myself having on a lab team is doing the coordinating and right. actually like you know kind of just like helping manage and guide people along but the actual rules design is not my strength i i wonder don't... if the, do you think the labs like are in contact with the rules teams oh, yeah. to like yep. see like if we make this change here how will it yep. affect like this thing way over yeah. here uh-huh. so i mean the way we we run the labs in the current situation and um i believe this is all stuff that's been talked about it's it's not you know this is no big secret but basically the idea with the labs came about because in the old way of doing things there had to be a lot of back and forth between the designers and the rules team and then between the designers and the background team making sure okay if we do this does it work with the background and then they have to do a little bit of a back and forth and then they're like oh right. if we do this the rules team has to then chime in and be like no 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 that's that's against kind of the parameters of what we're trying to keep within the the, the big picture of the game so what we did instead of the lab team is there is a dedicated rules team member there is a dedicated background team member so within the lab team is someone from the rules team who is there to basically oh, nice. one act as a designer along with the dedicated design team right as well as advise and be a direct conduit to the rest of the rules team so that there's less delay between 
idea and feedback. They can just jump right in and just say they can just they can just veto something right there and basically be like, no, 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 that that's completely something out there. Or they can, right. you know, like if, they, if something's like way out of, out of whack, but luckily we don't really have that. But the main thing is they can quickly go back to their other guys and be like, hey, guys, this is an idea. Seems cool, but we're not sure. So right. it can kind of help speed up some of that um, decision making. Um, the whole point is, again, like instead of having them have to communicate with a member of those teams, just put a member of those teams on the actual design team. And I guess it's going to be a lot better once you, I mean, once a person's done like one or two labs, they're almost like a veteran lab team member. And then, you know, as these lab teams get together in the future, I guess maybe it'll be easier for them to yep. work and things that's out kinda, than that's it was kind of the hope. initially, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we the whole the whole thing is that um, in order to run uh, a lab process, you, you know, you've you've had to have either had some sort of other management experience within the project, um, but preferably you have worked on one. So like, it's easier to run one when you've already been through the process once before. Right. And that's also where we have some of the the um, auxiliary books like the Asklanders, but now things like the Hobgoblin supplement or right. the Cultist supplement is those are essentially um not training areas but they're kind of like because they're not a core 16 book product uh-huh. they they have a little bit more room for deviating from the the standard procedures right but they're really really good places for people to dip in and see okay is this something i want to do and do i think um i could be a good value to working on a bigger book or is it just like you know i thought i could do it worked on one of these supplements that was fun, but I don't see myself wanting to do another one. Yeah, because I imagine there's a lot more work than might immediately spring to your mind. You know what I mean? There's I can sit here and say, boy, I'd love to work on the KOE book. But then, like, when you're looking at emails every day and you have to have, like, calls and you got to do this, you got to do that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's probably a lot more yeah. a lot more work yeah. than people. Generally, when, when we put people onto a lab team, so, like, when we put a background member on a lab team or we put a rules team member on the lab team, um, they're still part of those teams, like of those broader teams with the background mm-hmm. team and the rules team. But the idea is supposed to be that the the lab team is your first priority oh, for wow. the duration of the lab, which can be like a year. So the whole point is that, you know, you're there to act as that representative, but you're also there to really focus on trying to get this thing and this product moved out. So yeah, I think I think it's important. I mean, I think it's important for. I mean, I'm as rebellious as the next guy, but I think it's pretty important to point out like just how much work like all the volunteers are actually doing, you know, and committing to making this happen. It's not like yeah. you know, they're spending like ten minutes a month. No, these guys are putting in work every day, yeah. right? So yeah, I think on uh, there's yeah. another podcast and um, uh, oh, you still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, Grimble Blackhammer, um who's another member of the executive board, he kind of went over his process and he, he, um, you know, he puts a lot of time into the project. Like he'll, he'll wake up and he'll spend like 15, 20 minutes going through notifications on the forum and his during, well, he's having his morning coffee and then he'll check on it again during the day and he'll spend like, you know, the guy spends like two hours. But he's not micromanaging, right? We don't like the micromanaging. No, and it's it's mostly just responding to people asking him questions. Yeah, there's only five of you, right? And you've got all these team members that you're responsible to. Yep, and I mean, um, Scottish Knight. Scottish Knight is is head of the background team. So in addition to doing the executive board stuff, he's he's on the background oh, team. He's an executive board member too. Yep. Oh wow. Yep. So I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, I do not have 
I do not wear as many hats as, as some of these other guys do. Um, right. There's a lot of people who do some really awesome work that, that do a lot more than me that I am very happy and honored to work alongside. Uh-huh. And um, like I said, it's kind of, it's impressive what we do for pure, the only thing we want out of it is essentially people to play this thing that we're helping work on. Some right. of which I, we don't even really get to do a lot of the actual Game but you know what? Don't, don't sell yourself short. You probably do a lot of stuff behind the scenes to keep things from going off track as well, right? Which, you know. Then that's kind of where I, my own thing is is more coming is is more on on procedure and process and just trying to help keep things moving right. along. Um, you know, especially coming from more of a casual gamer background, I want to make sure that um, not just the tournament DTC stuff, but like that there's fun stuff in there for cat people who just want to play the games that i used to play in the basement they just want to play right. the pickup games at the game store um right. so that's where things like the uh the magic card supplements the alternate spells you know all that stuff comes in because that's you know to me that's that's the really cool stuff yeah a lot a lot of systems like a lot of games i won't mention them but a lot of games you see a lot of min max you know they used to call it min max and yeah you know some units are just unusable on a tournament list and that kind of thing and I know I'm new, but looking at the ninth age, it seems like really well balanced. It seems like, you know, you can you have a lot more, you have the ability to take a lot more vari- a bigger variety in the ninth age than even in like Warhammer Seventh. It seems like you know what I mean. Like yep. everything, yep. there's a lot more viability for, or everything's more viable. It seems like right. So yeah, and I mean, so and, and a lot of people is that planned or is that do people look oh, at yeah. that when they're doing the yep. books? Okay. Yeah. So one of the the main things that we have um and this comes down from the rules team and from uh you know the core concepts of what we want to do is we want to make sure so that the goal we we work towards is try and make it so that there's as much internal balance within a book as possible so that the idea within a book is that you you, know, you open the book and everything looks awesome you know right. in a perfect world you want everything in your list because it all looks awesome and fun to play with right the other thing, though, is in order to make sure that things are feasible, we try to have synergy so that there's multiple ways to play a book within the constraints of a point system. Obviously, points unlimited, you could throw everything down and have lots of fun. But within 4,500 points, there's there's only so much you're actually realistically going to be able to put on the table. Right. So we try and make sure that, you know, I think, no one quote me on this, but I think the uh, the goal is about three ways to play every book is kind oh, of wow. the idea. That's that there's cool. That there's three concepts you know if you you know you can play this book as an infantry horde you can play this book as a cat book you can play this book as a gun line right mm-hmm. there's different ways to go about doing that but those are like the, the broad concepts that like you know every book should have two or three main ways to play and then within that there's a whole bunch of different ways that you could actually build those concepts out oh yeah i mean like you look at the vampire i was looking at vampire counts initially and it's, it blows my mind like how many different ways there are to play that yeah. army yeah, yeah. i just yeah, it was way too much yeah. work for my first army to try and figure all that out. Yeah, I just didn't want yeah. to go there. But yeah. So I mean, I mean, like I know there's a lot of people who um, will disagree on the idea of like, oh, there's there's no bad choices, and I think a lot of that comes from, um, you know, a lot of it's hyperbole, and a lot of it's just like, oh, well, you know, this will just get stomped in this. But I remember um, Dan Thomas, one of the the more popular uh, players in the UK that a lot of people know. Um, popular in that he has a name recognition dan i don't actually right. know if you're really popular I heard, well or not. i heard he's really good too right <laughs> i mean i haven't heard anybody say he's a bad player like i've heard he was really good yeah. right yeah yeah and and the thing that uh, i remember there's a thread dan had once where basically like he said like i will play an event with whatever you know like 
you think this is the worst unit, I will play a army that basically runs with that as the core concept. If you think um, Skeleton Cavalry from UD is, is garbage, I will run a list that basically uses that as the, the mainstay of the force. Right. And if I remember correctly, he did pretty well. So like the idea is, is it's not... It's not the army, it's how you use it, it's how you synergize them together, yeah. and you know, it's how you approach it. The, the, the thing that ch- changed drastically with Ninth Age versus what happened before, what happens in 40k, what happens in some other tournament games, probably like War Machine and... Um, Kings of War, probably. Kings of War and others is that um, there's... I found that a lot of tournament, a lot of those other games, the games were decided... Uh, right at the matchup in the list stage, right? Oh, you know, yeah. Like, Absolutely. You can basically design a, a list that will always beat certain types of opponents right at the list stage. You know, like this is... We talk about hard counters in Ninth Age, and I think other game systems have actual hard counters where you pitch up, there right. is no hope in hell. You Like, you know, it's like I said with my 40k experience at a tournament where I just shot the crap out of somebody and I didn't yeah. even kill a model. Yeah, have fun shooting the Terminators with Guardsmen. It's not going to happen. Right? Yeah, and yeah. so, you know, especially this is back in the day of like seven, you know, you could, there was actual invisibility and vulnerability spells and stuff like that. <laughs> just <laughs> oh, like God. where my guard actually couldn't even see uh, opponents because they use these psycho sh- shenanigans to kill them. And oh, it's just God. like, so like this idea that Ninth Age has stuff that is useless no in my opinion i mean i don't think there's stuff that's useless and i know a lot of people are going to give me flack for that but i think there's stuff that is um maybe doesn't suit your play style there's stuff that doesn't suit um you know that is a suboptimal matchup against your opponent but i think you know pretty much any two lists at 4500 points i don't think there's another game system out there where there's quite as good of an even match unless you're talking about historical mirror match games like well, i was listening to like mad get radio and those crazy scottish guys i think they agree with you they're talking about these games are way too swingy for you know and all the units are pretty well balanced so it's they were yep. they were talking about how they get sick of looking at the forum when someone will post something and someone will say oh you can't take that it's absolute garbage you'll never win with that and it's like yeah not true Right. Yeah, I know there was um, we we did a little analysis at one point, and I think it was the someone did an analysis of like the the gap in the tournaments, uh-huh. and it was one of the I think it was one of the larger single tournaments in Europe back in 2019, and like outside of the top three results, like the rest of the the people were th- like it was just a handful of points separating. Oh, like yeah. the next 30 spots like there yeah. was no clear there was no clear dominator like you would have seen in 40k or you know bolt action even or some of the other stuff like there's no like there's no clear click and delete like the the amount of work that the rules team has gone through to create a extremely well internal and externally balanced game mm-hmm. you know is there a lot of work to be done sure but i th- you know i think it's silly to kind of look back and and you know, compared to what else is out there to call us, you know, broken, useless, unbalanced units. No. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen at it all. all. Yeah, and yeah, I haven't. I mean, I don't. Yeah, like I said, I'm new, but I I haven't seen anything. Only, only unit I despise is Empire Militia. Like I see no use for that whatsoever. But that's that's me. Yeah. I, I'm pretty certain I've been. I'm pretty certain I've been killed by them when I was playing a Vermin Swarm at one point. So. Oh really? Well, you're yeah. playing the rats. I mean. 
Who doesn't I'm kill also, the rats, right? <laughs> I'm also <laughs> admittedly like I we just had um I I just played um uh Forsetta's Muse, a game on Warhol uh-huh. and uh she's on the advisory board and you know that we had this game to basically have a competition to be who was the worst player of the leadership because right. i was adamant that it was me and she was adamant that it was her and we had a game <laughs> and uh the final score of the game was 10 20 to 10 40 oh my god so we we joke that we're equally terrible <laughs> and we were both playing orcs and goblins too like it, it was just like wow we're, we we both really suck at this and we you know it, it was fun but the main thing is because we're both we are more casual gamers, right? Like yeah. I don't play, I right. don't pitch up a tournament to win. I pitch at a tournament to cram five games into a weekend because I probably won't be able to play any other games that month. Other right. Than that See month. different armies, meet people. That yeah, kind of stuff. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just, just break out of the normal. That's, right. that's really what it is. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not out there. I'm not going to kill myself or commit Harry Carey. If I lose, you know, the first three no. games in a row, it is what no. it is. You know, I design my list. I, I, my, my ethos in list designing is, will I have fun playing this list even if I lose? And right. Even if I lose badly? Yes. Right. Then go for it. That's that's how I design my armies. Well, there you go. And, and it shows because I also just think that's probably just an excuse I tell myself to explain away my losses. Well, I think I think you're probably like a lot of casual gamers that play really well in the casual environment, but then in the tournament environment, it's just, you know, you're there just enjoying the atmosphere enjoying the scenery you're not you know yeah. you're, you're not putting your brain into overdrive you know to figure out no. every last think 15 no. moves you know, ahead like, or anything you know you're not, obviously you're just, you know i do play to win my games and i do to you right. know, go to do it but if i'm like clearly you know like the dice are just not on my side and like right. you know i i need to you know <laughs> i need to roll you know a couple of sixes to get through and I just get one after one after one after one. I'm just going <laughs> to sit there and laugh it off because that's just, to me, that's just, it's hilarious. It's dumb luck. It is what it is. If you can't enjoy losing, don't play the game. I mean, orcs and goblins are great. I played a lot of orcs before and I think they're, they're a fun army to win or lose with. You know what I mean? Yep. Cause yep. you're just throwing forward and, yeah, crack and jokes you know, and watch them do crazy you, things. Yeah, run them forward, smash. Uh, hope you don't die. And um, <laughs> if your opponent happens to disappear when the dust settles, then great. If not, oh well, you had a you had a good smash up. That's had the whole a good point. Smash up. That's the whole point of it. So, what's the tournament scene like in Canada? Does Canada have an ETC team, or do they have? A... We do. So you most do. of the uh, ETC guys were out in Alberta. Okay. Um, which, for those of you who don't know, is. Um, uh, the second most westernmost province um, that we have, so they're just Saskatchewan, north... right? Uh, so the west, yeah, the west is Saskatchewan. They're just north of the, um, I want to say like Wyoming or the Dakotas. Oh wow! Yeah, so it basically goes Alberta and maybe then even Washington, BC. maybe okay. Yeah, 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 kind of out that way. So they're pretty far to the west. Um, they're not close by to me in any way, shape, or form. Uh-huh. Um, they're like a good probably five hour plane flight away really so um, the, they're that the tournament scene is pretty much conge- is concentrated out there in alberta so that's where um there's a lot of good support for the game out there that's where uh-huh. the etc guys are um uh-huh. we have some good player base out this way we ran we've run a couple tournaments um varying in size from 10 to almost 30 in ontario Right. Uh, the nice thing about Ontario is we've got some guys in upstate New York. It's not too far away from the guys in the Northeast, because um, we're you know like where we play is only about two three hours from Buffalo or about three yeah. hours from Detroit. 
so it's easy for the ohio guys to get across the border if there's a big enough event it's easy for some guys in michigan to make the drive um you know they could leave after work and stay overnight at the hotel and then get up in the morning no problem on a saturday morning and play a bunch of games and then make their way home sunday night and be home and in their beds by nine o'clock right like it's it's we're close enough that we can pull from a couple other areas to help boost our numbers but like i said we we've had some good luck growing the scene so um said there's a there's a couple people playing around um kitchener waterloo london just outside of toronto and then there's a couple guys up in ottawa and there's a couple guys further along in montreal in quebec so that's it's all close enough that like if there's a big enough event we can kind of pull from a couple different areas i've been up to ottawa for an event um there's some guys just east of toronto that have come down our way so it's there's enough that we can like i said we can comfortably have um 10 to 20 player events for a weekend and it's 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 just nice because it's you know guys that you get to see only a couple times a year but we right. all play together we all know each other they're, they're lots of fun to play with so see that's fun seeing the same people over i miss that um there's actually a group of players near me that play in ohio all the time they go to buckeye battles every year mm-hmm. yep but they're only like 30 minutes away from me i met them all i know them from other game systems i just didn't know they played ninth h2 but they do so that's exciting i'll get to play some games with them soon so I'm not that far from Toronto, probably than myself. I wouldn't think. I never looked. No, you said you're you're in Indiana. No, yeah, Kokomo. So I'm I'm about three hours south of the Michigan border, or south of the Canadian border, probably. Okay. Yep. Yeah, not too far. Yeah, that's um just south of Michigan, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Not too far. Um, do you have a rivalry between Eastern and Western Canada like they kind of do in the states with different systems? No, we're not, big along? Not, like that. <laughs> we're not, not big enough. Not yeah, big enough to have that. <laughs> No, we. I mean, there's not enough um, because again, f- traveling within Canada is really expensive. Like, you, like it's bad enough in the U.S., but like to fly from like Ontario to Alberta, it would be like a almost the same price as me to fly to Europe. Really? <laughs> yeah, if flying within Canada is stupid expensive, so that's one of the things that like makes it really prohibitive for us to um go see each other is like you got to be willing to show like you know at least three hundred dollars for a flight sometimes no oh, wow yeah and, and try to convince the wife that when you got young kids right it's gonna be hard yeah yeah hi honey i'm gonna take a, a weekend trip to alberta to go play with toy soldiers um mm-hmm. have fun with the screaming child bye yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah. if i'm not divorced i'll be on the couch for the rest of my life <laughs> right wish me luck okay <laughs> yeah Support me in this, honey. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'd, ha- I'd have yeah. better luck convincing her to go on a family vacation to to Europe and um, yeah, know, squeezing some gaming into that than just disappearing for like a long weekend in, in Alberta or Saskatchewan for games. Well, that's what I'm doing. See, I already pulled that off. Like, <laughs> I've got my wife convinced like she wanted to go to Italy next year, and I've got her convinced to go to Scotland instead. So I'm going to time it right to when there's yeah, but a next tournament year, up there. I think huh? I think there's going to be the ETC in Italy. Oh really? I feel like that was. I, I won't be able to go again, to the ETC, don't call me. man. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> but you can show up and check it out. I mean, I guess technically I am undefeated. I haven't played a game, but I'm still undefeated, right? So. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, I can still check it out. That's right. Um, I like fake Italian food. Though. I don't like real Italian food. You know what I mean? I like Americanized <laughs> Italian food. That's Italian to me. <laughs> like real Italian food. I don't know if I would like it that much. Um, all right. Um, so you're gonna stick around for a little bit longer, right? You yeah, promised? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just painting. All right. Paint those mushrooms. And uh, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be right back. Yeah. 
And we're back. Um, Cassandra's, how's that goblin coming along? You making good progress? Gonna have him finish uh, soon? I, no, I switched to an orc standard bear instead. <laughs> Gave up on the mushrooms? Yeah. Uh, how, do I'm not a, a, how do you paint a mushroom anyway? Um, Are you making them like white with like the little red dots basic on them? Or... And hope, basic colors and hopes that the wash does the rest of the work for me. So how many armies do you actually have? Um, let's so let's go it, through. Let's go through not your pile of shame, but let's go through your painted, what you have painted and, and ready for historicals, fantasy, everything. Oh, nothing. I have like a million half finished projects. Really? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but you gotta remember, like I never played. You know, everything was always just casual basement games. So you know, we were a lot less strict. Everybody, you know, would, would poke, make fun of, like, you know, who had what painted. Oh, um, really? Yeah. So like, we were we, the we opposite. Were we way. were we were shamed if we didn't play with painted man. Oh yeah, like my my buddies will give me a hard time and stuff. But like, you know, we when you're just playing the same guys over and over again, it, it you know. I would paint one, unit, paint one unit for <laughs> fantasy, and then I switched to 40k, and then I paint a little bit of my historical stuff, and then I go back to another fantasy one and paint a couple models from that. So, like, I have about, you know, several dozen projects in. Okay, you know, tell me, tell me what your, tell me what your projects are, finished or half finished. So um, let's hear, let's hear about all your interests. My original one, that's probably the most close to being painted, is my original. Um, Kingdom Black Twain Army, which is all fifth edition era Bretonians. Oh wow, that's probably worth so a lot like, of money, actually. It surprisingly is now, considering I've also picked up a bunch of stuff uh, a couple years ago when it wasn't super valuable at the time, right. and I've got a bunch of stuff in blister still. Oh um, my god! Like, like I've got like ground lights in blister. I've got the the old fifth edition Fae Enchantress with her frog in blister. Um, a couple squires and stuff like that so like that was my first army because it was the the bretonians and lizardmen starter set box you're gonna set. get, you're gonna get lots of messages on the forums now saying hey you want to you want to sell no. those hey you want to get rid of no. that okay. no, I'll, I'll sell my 40k before i sell that stuff <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so i mean i've got that that's in it's it's painted but it's also the stuff that i painted when i was like 10 to 15 years old right so it's right. still it's cool painted, though it's painted with testers and enamels and not very well done um hey, i love testers I, I use it to this day on some things yeah. but go ahead yeah so i've been planning on wanting to take that army strip it and redo it and, and give it a little bit more uh love and attention now that i know somewhat what i'm doing for basic painting yeah. um the orc and goblin army that i'm working on now i bought from a buddy when he got out of the hobby back during sixth edition warhammer fantasy and i've been lugging it around for years so this have, you, add, have you added to it at all or oh yeah yeah so i've added a bunch of stuff to it and you know the, the game has changed evolved i think i've lost a couple models over the years but i have still the core of what he what he oh. sold me so i've been stripping and repainting that now um for my slow grow league um cool i have uh highborn elf project that again i started back during sixth edition fantasy got a couple models built and painted and then got distracted by something else these um, are long-term projects right <laughs> but you never give up i mean i like the persistence <laughs> it's it's well like it's just like i i want to do it so i I've, <laughs> i have done a purge of some stuff that i know i'm never going to get to I, uh -huh. i've sold off a couple of stuff from 40k that i know i'm not going to get into especially now that i know i want to do a second edition 40k there's a lot of you know which is a smaller physically smaller game Right. that requires less models so because right. of that i've sold off a couple stuff that i'm like no that's doesn't it doesn't get my attention um i consider myself probably more of a collector than a gamer anyway just oh, because yeah. 
I have more time at night to paint than I have through the week or through the month to play. Just, oh, just the reality of being an adult these days. Um, other projects I have, uh, I've got a Saurian Agents army. Again, all 5th edition era uh, Saurian Agents that I've been trying to accumulate to go with those old Bretonians that I have so I can do a KOE versus Saurian Agents. And it's all just those those old 90s uh, sculpts. That's a flashback to what the 5th edition box set or is it 6th edition? Yeah, yeah, 5th edition box set. Um, the one that I really want to get into, which I'm tempted to do in when I'm done these orcs, just because it's two birds with one stone, is uh-huh. I want to do an Empire Sunstall army, but theme it as being an eighth age army. Explain. So it would basically be so, you know, the the ninth age within the setting started with um the arrival of Sunna to defeat the Rat King. Right. So the idea there is this would be an army of historical like i'd use historical miniatures primarily for it of um late roman uh migration period stuff so late roman um you know uh, uh like legionnaires and not not even yeah but like more byzantine almost right oh yeah right yeah right so it's like like stuff of like the um uh uh, oh, what the heck is it? Like the like the Gothic warriors, like the Visigoths and the Vandals, right. and all those stuff from like the fall of Rome era. Oh, cool! And then some like um, some Dark Age barbarians and stuff from that. So the idea would be that this would be a very post-Roman kind of feel, led by some fantasy elements into it. And the way I wanted oh, to cool. kind of do it then was basically be you know, it's 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 Sana as a prelate leading this army of this ragtag. Of the clans, leaving the clans like a a little bit of leftovers from avarice, leftovers from the the Germanic-influenced tribes, and all these people that go on their way to march on avarice to liberate it from the Rat King and the Vermin. So so I'd use a bunch of historical stuff for that, and then throw in some fantasy elements just to kind of beef it up. There you go. Be fun. That sounds Um, awesome. Yeah, and then what else? Is there any other ones I have in there? Did you have Vermin Swarm still? Vermin Swarm. I played Vermin Swarm a lot for the last while. I got a lot more painted for that one. That, that one's... sounds like it's a tricky army to play. Like, that's not a. I don't know if that would be a beginner army. I know I shouldn't say yeah, that. every can, army can... is a beginner friendly army, but I don't know if that would be a beginner friendly army, right? Vermin Swarm can be. It's just there's a lot, and I am a slow painter. Uh-huh. Um, I, I am speeding up now, but so the the, the Vermin Swarm army is surprisingly close to being done so I'll probably oh, wow. that's a lot of models right yeah I'll probably throw a couple of those guys in here and there as needed but there's not actually that much more I need to do to finish them it's that's that's an army that's probably like 80 percent done oh, wow. I just need to I just need to get my button gear and actually do it right <laughs> well I mean, you, um, got, you gotta do your real job too right I mean, well you the other thing too is I don't have to worry about bringing unpainted armies to a tournament because I usually just organize the tournaments. I don't usually play. <laughs> so <laughs> my excuse is always, well, I'm the ringer because we're an odd number and I'm actually running the event. So that's why I didn't have time to paint. And you're like, please don't want to drop out. I don't want to show. I don't want to. I don't have to admit that I didn't finish this army. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Basically. So I, yeah. you know, like I'm, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty laid back that way. But no, I, I do want to try and get some more of this stuff done and get some more things going. So those are probably my main my main ninth age projects I have on the go. And then I've got a slew of historical stuff. I've got some 28 millimeter World War II stuff I'm working on. For both um, action, right? Or... Yeah, both action and, and various other 28 millimeter. That, I've read the rules. That, that looks interesting. It looks like a fun game. It's it's fun. It's it's good because, again, you can play it in a tournament because it's historical. It's not 
crazy broken like you can get into with fantasy right. and sci- sci-fi stuff um you know you, you can't just go in hiroshima your enemy when you feel like it right um i wanted to make a 40k imperial guard army with uh world war ii bolt action guys but you know the whole games workshop thing you gotta use you know games workshop model yeah thing, kinda, yeah yeah and that's the thing I, that's the thing i like about historicals it's much like other indie game systems is historicals like well you know so long as it's a World War II German, it's a World War II German, right? So long as he's right. doing the job and he's right. he's of approximately right there. And I am not a rivet counter by any stretch. Like I'll oh, throw yeah. I'll throw a Sherman on a table and it can be a Mark One Sherman. Absolutely. Or it can be a right. I don't really care. It's a Sherman. Don't that's not don't a jumbo. Tell me. Don't tell yeah. me that's not a yeah right. Yeah, like oh well, you know that's that's the wrong term. I'm like, listen, buddy, I I lost <laughs> the other guns. I'm not going to change it out. It's a Sherman. It's you a 76 it, my... millimeter. Damn it. My list calls out a Sherman. There's the Sherman. It's a Sherman. There we go. Let's move on. Um, yep. There you go. Like, like that's just kind of like my attitude on it. If I wanted to do that, I'd actually get into a like, you know Tamiya scale models. Right. <laughs> if I wanted exactly. to get into that kind of detail. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I yeah. So I do that. Um, I said I want to do the 15 millimeter, the the Empire Salt Install um, Army. I plan on using then both as. Um, historicals as well as for ninth age right? what historical wanna, system are you gonna, are you looking at um i was looking at lion rampant um yeah which looks like a fun easy rule set um there's hail caesar which again you know quick fun easy and then the nice thing about historicals is once you have the army made up you can kind of do whatever oh, right yeah. like you can use the same figures for dozens of different games oh i'm so, telling you like those old school rules for ancients look really fun like they look really fun, but yeah, I'll just leave it with that. But Tony Bath rules, I'll just keep pushing them every chance I get. They look fantastic. But go ahead. I, it, and yeah. I'd give them a try. Like I said, I'll, I'll try anything and right. give it a shot and, and see how it plays out. So how do you think um, – how like how organized is the Ninth Age in regards to tournaments? You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to ask like it seems like it's kind of hard to like – I have no idea – what the main events are in the United States. I have no idea who the top players are in the United States. I have no idea. I don't even know where to look, right? Like So they have like we, is there like a database somewhere that has like like tourney keeper that the ninth age maintains or anything like that? Or is it kinda just So we do try and keep some of that information. I mean the, the biggest thing that uh, people need to remember, especially if you're new to it, is that there is no officially sanctioned ninth age events. Right? Like ninth age as a project does not officially sanctioned events oh really who, oh really a okay. lot of the because you know we're, we're not a corporate entity we don't have any products to sell oh, i we, guess so we don't like we create the rules and we basically let the community decide so if you know if your to is allowing supplements and you don't like the supplements it's not on us take it up with your to we so, provide it so out there like so that people you, have variety i'm sorry so like so like when you see like the english championships were held recently that that wasn't sanctioned by like the ninth age that's just the group no. of people that said hey they have their own league set up or something and they just yep. do it or okay yeah individual clubs set it up and i mean like a lot of people who organize those events are probably involved with the project like i know like the guys who run um uh, the big tournament in scott scotland um oh. i know ed's involved with that scottish knight i know he's involved with organizing the etc but like that is he's not separate. he's not he's not in his ninth age capacity when he's doing that right yeah, no no that's yeah, right. that's more as a player of the game right 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 and so there's you know big events happening in europe that are not actually run by ninth age staff members right we we you do not have to be staffed to run a tournament we 
we create the rules, run your tournament however you want. If you want to run only the 16 core armies and the basic scenarios and everything in the book, do that. If you want to add Asklanders or the giant supplement or whatever, do it. It's it's your tournament. Modify our rules and and what we put out there to do the tournament you want to do. And if players don't like it, that's something they need to take up with you so, as a team. So it's kind of like it's, it's kind of like part of the whole culture thing again, right? No micromanaging, right? Even yeah, even, yeah, for yeah. tournament level, just try to yeah. That's really yep. cool. And so, so we we don't really run that. I know there's as far as the North American scene. I know there's some guys um, running the uh, uh, the Masters, right? So they were kind of restarting that, and that was in 2019, early 2020, before the world stopped. So yeah. that unfortunately put a bit of a halt to that. But I know they ran at least one uh, Masters event in North America. I think a lot so of, it seems like California has a pretty big scene out there. Yeah, um, there's some good. There's there's some good. A lot of it, I think, is in the San Diego area. Uh-huh. Um, so there's some guys out there. There's some players down in Texas. There's there's like these these sporadic hubs, right? Uh-huh. And um, like Ohio seems like it's got a, it could, it's yeah. potentially pretty big there. Yeah. 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 And and Michigan has some good players there in Michigan. There's some guys up in. Um, uh, uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin? I can't remember which one. Well, um, there has just... to be there has to be a scene in Virginia. I'm just telling you that right now. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. There's definitely some players in Virginia. Yeah. Um, basically, they're within the Virginia, uh, North Carolina, um, the, the the Mid Atlantic area. There's there's some good players in the Mid Atlantic yeah. that do some stuff. Yeah. Um, it's it the thing that again, if there's not a community, you have to build one. Right, and it's a lot of work, but it can also be really rewarding. And but I don't, don't want to do the work. I just want to, you know, yeah. I want to, I want to show up, and it'll all be there for me. Yeah, as so long as there's, happen, huh? as long as you can find one other interested party, and you get right. out of your basement, or you you get out of your your dingy club, and you actually get out and play in stores and play at conventions and, and expose people to it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have models already. the The rules are free, so there's no cost of entry. Try it. We we've got people using the um, RH World Building Papercraft miniatures from the website playing Ninth Age with us because yeah. you know they're they like it. They don't like it enough necessarily to um, to to build and paint and buy Hermes, but it's there. Well, a lot um, of us started painting when we were like you know twelve, thirteen, yep. fourteen, fifteen. I mean, pretty daunting to come in, you know, wife and family, and be like, oh, I'm going to start painting from scratch now. I mean, it'd be kind of hard to do. I would see, but. It's yeah, worthwhile. We're also, but... we're also getting to a point too where um, you know, like Ninth Age is six years old, coming up on their seventh year, and we're at a stage now where we need to think about getting people who have never played right. Warhammer Fantasy, who have never played Kings of War. Um, right. We need to get people who are complete newbies to the hobby in general, um, because they won't go in with any prejudices of a bunch of the other systems or nostalgia for how things were they'll look at it for what it is and, and and with a very nice fresh set of eyes that can maybe help guide us in ways that we wouldn't normally think about. Oh yeah, it's crazy. It's like it's like all the people that hate GW now they love them and all the people that it's just weird. Like whenever GW is brought in any kind of like public forum or meeting space it's always contentious. I yeah. don't care who it is. It's like yeah, it's toxic. Yeah. It's just toxic, right? It is. Yeah. I don't know why. It just and I think is. you know, and um, 
you know, like I'll, I'll get asked, and I, I posted this a few times on the forums, people will ask, like, you know, what do I think about um, the, the long-term stability of the ninth age in the face of the changing marketplace? And right. like I've said before, like, we can, we'll beat on cost every day of the week. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, we've every, every month that goes by, there's another Patreon out there of 3D printed miniatures, everything that goes out there, there's, there's more. So. Right. There's, there's there's lots we can do yeah I, and it, that's a thing I don't what I like about the ninth age I don't feel guilty playing the ninth age and not using ninth age miniatures because there are no ninth age miniatures right I don't exactly there's no it's, moral it's really dilemma cool. for you, me you know what I mean whatever you think is cool the game. That, yeah. that's your miniatures so like right. use historical miniatures use games workshop miniatures use 3d print miniatures use whatever you think is right. cool that that's the point yeah I think that's to me, that's the biggest selling point for me personally. I mean, that's one of them, you know, but that's that's a big deal for me. Yeah. Um, so there's no talk on the executive board about no no one's feeling threatened about an upcoming Games Workshop re-release of a Warhammer Fantasy rank-and-flake type game. It's gonna. Ha- we we know it's going to have an impact. There's gonna. Uh-huh. We know there's gonna be players that are gonna. Um, leave because for them ninth age was never what they wanted you know right they wanted warhammer fantasy we're not warhammer fantasy right we're similar right but we're not that and to the people who find that warhammer fantasy fits their needs as a consumer better than awesome i am happy you have found the game of toy soldiers that fits your needs as a consumer it doesn't fit a lot of ours right um and for me, it's more than just the game. It is the community. It is the the project. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is everything else. And I think there's thousands of players worldwide that feel the same way. The the right. rules are just so much are just written so much better, so much cleaner. It's it's just you know it's night and day. So yeah, and and again, it's just like some people want some of the some people want a broken rule set because that's fun for them and that right. is fine i'm not going to tell anybody how to have fun with 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 its game you know right. at the end of the day it is some a game people of like that i call them gotcha players there's there there exists gotcha players there but not there. even that some yeah. of them some of them want that for a more casual game oh, right wow. they, they they want to be able to literally blow the world up on the tabletop because for them it's fun to blow the world up on the tabletop and well, as long as we're doing is... on the tabletop and not you know taking out a neighbor it's fun me. yeah exactly i mean it's 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 a game, right? Like right. ultimately, it's a hobby. It's a game. It is not the most serious thing in the world. Do what you need to do to have fun with the hobby. And um, if that's not playing Ninth Age, then I'm never going to decry you for playing a different game. Like I play dozens of games. Right. You know, right. Just because I volunteer for Ninth Age, just because I play Ninth Age, does not mean Ninth Age is the only game I play. It's my main game because I, I probably enjoy it the most. But there's right. You know, I can't play American War of Independence with Ninth Age rules. I can't play World War II right. skirmish games with Ninth Age rules. There's no. stuff that I can't do with the hey, Ninth that's, Age. Hey, that that's your homework stuff. assignment. That's your homework assignment, Cassandras. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, not, yeah, I, I've <laughs> already said I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a game designer. Right. Um, but like I said, I, you know, I, I look at it from a business perspective. My, my day job in sales and marketing, I, I look at it and, you know, do I think games workshop is going to have success with their new game possibly i i i look at it the same way i look at a kings of war release um there's a potential for some cool new models that i may or may not want to buy right 
people who may or may not get into the hobby that never got into it because you know maybe um other mainstream games weren't their thing they then might kind of, you know if 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 out of a hundred people who play the old world we you know lose 10 that were always on the fence but gain one who was like hey i didn't even know this was an option i like this more that's a win to me i, yeah, I would yeah. rather have i would rather have the people who play ninth age really truly love ninth age than people who are just begrudgingly into it because that's what everybody else in their group plays. right right yeah and i totally agree with you on that so yeah and yeah so whatever the future brings you don't sound like you're very much you're too worried about it or no one's I, I, like i said i think there. yeah we we measure we measure our success by completely different metrics than what private businesses do. Right. And it's it's not that, you know, I I want the old world to fail and for us to succeed. It's that right. we measure success and failure on completely different terms than what a business tool. Well look at look at all the uh, startups that Ninth Age is responsible for as far as these three D printing companies and a lot of these smaller um, yep. new miniature makers that are out there I mean that are making things like did you see that new starter set for the ninth age that yep. someone put out there did you guys yep. have any input on that at all or did you sanction no. is that sanctioned at all or it's 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 completely within the terms of the license for someone to go ahead and do that and I oh, mean, wow. more than anything it's um uh you know because they're taking on the risk themselves they have to coordinate and do all the printing and all the rest of it so that's okay. that's why it doesn't really um you know if you look at the license you can basically you can go ahead and do that oh, within wow. the licenses you can go and print material that we've written because we you have the risk of selling it and doing it all yourself it's it's not it's not our problem to handle the distribution or the sales or the profit right that you know what that's kind of ingenious in a way that way you well see at the end of the day if someone wants it yeah. they can always download it for free right so right absolutely yeah you're so. you're adding a value to it if someone doesn't want that value they can come to our website and download it for free yeah i thought that that set looked pretty neat actually yeah i didn't see what armies it was or like that but it seemed pretty cool so what are, what are your feelings personally taking your taking your executive board member hat off what are your feelings about um because you're kind of an old school gamer like me in a way what are your feelings regarding like three D printed models, and this and this whole thing towards people getting printing their own armies and, you know, these STL files, all this kind of stuff, like being widely available. What's your what's your take on that? Good, bad. Um, I think ultimately care? it's going uh, to be better for the hobby. Uh huh. Um, just because it will bring a lot of things home. It's not going to be something that everybody has because it is 3D printing is a hobby in and of itself. Oh, right. right? Like, Pretty like, complicated. Yeah. So I know it's not so much complicated as much it takes time to learn how to do. Uh, um, there's guys within my group who do it. So like within my group with the slow grow that we have, there's like four or five fully 3D printed armies, right? Like they, they don't have any. Oh, um, wow. They, like there's guys who are just using... 3d printed armies fully because manufacturers love to hear that right <laughs> well you know then there's other people like me who i don't very few 3d sculpts get me my i right. the reason i have this this nightmare game scobbled with all this detail on it is because i like old school green stuff hand sculpted miniatures oh yeah mark cobblestone the old school stuff yeah right? kev yeah. adams you know yeah, Trisha yeah. morrison i like Ryan that morrison. stuff from, oh yeah yeah yeah, so I like stuff that's sculpted by hand because um, there's a, something I saw posted at one point was basically if a hand sculpted it, a hand can paint it. 
Yeah. And sure. the thing I found with a lot of um, mass-produced 3D sculpted stuff, or even just some of the stuff that you can see on um, that comes in a 3D prints, is it's just over the top. And it's just like, just because you can doesn't mean you should right. apply to design. I like very simple, simple, detailed, but elegant designs. Right. And that's why I like those those old 5th edition uh, Perry Twins uh, Bretonians because they were beautiful models of, and there's a they, lot of detail remember the green knight there's a lot of detail yeah, in that guy. But, yeah. but if you actually look at them as a sculpt there's not a lot of complexity oh, okay. to the sculpt right. um, and that's that's kind of the thing that I like is like I like detail there's a degree of obvious craftsmanship but they're not you know there's not little bits of widgets tacked and added on to everything because you can tack and add all these widgets on there's not little spindly oh. bits because look we can now have this material to make all this weird spindly stuff and like right. you know i look at some of the models for for 40k these days and some of the stuff oh, that i see like Lord. privateer press yeah privateer press and those guys and i'm like that's cool i never want to paint that <laughs> right yeah yeah um so i mean 3d printing i think is one of those things where it it gives people who want that kind of product really good, easy access. It means that certain people can, you, you can get stuff that you wouldn't normally get. You can, you can do certain things you wouldn't normally be able to do. Um, and for a large subset of the hobby, it's going to be perfect. Oh, There's yeah. also going to be a large number of people who are still going to want spin cast pewter, small batch resin right. injection molded plastic and i, and I think I, that's great everybody has their own preferences right you know yeah good or bad and that's the thing and, and that's and that's the thing is um you know there's there's some there's an adage that I, I i heard someone say in sales and it's not that the customer doesn't want choice the customer wants what they want right right yeah. um so not everybody wants plastic not everybody wants pewter not everybody wants small batch resin right not everybody wants 3d printing all 3D printing does is it gives the solution to people who always wanted that as the solution. Right. And isn't it funny? Remember when um, Games Workshop came up with a fine cast and people loved it at first and they hated it in general? Yep. And then it was like a big anti-resin thing. And now all the new the new trend now is resin's the new, you know, king of the hill, <laughs> I guess. Yep. And, and a lot of it's just like it's, you know, you, you do resin – now, I mean, you do resin the right way, and you you put the proper quality controls in. Resin's not actually that bad of a material to work with. Right. Um, yeah. It was when you mass produce resin, it can be very hard to work with because it's oh, very sure. easy to miss bubbles and miscasts and a whole bunch of other oh, issues that can happen. Right. And and you know what? I think a lot of it. Well, look at Mantic miniatures. Not to not to diss them, but I bought a lot of Mantic in the past, and like I've noticed, like over the last couple of years, you're talking about dramatic price increases, right? Not just due to COVID, but I mean just dramatic price increases. You know, they're they always uh, advertise themselves as like the cheaper alternative to Games Workshop, but they're kind of they're kind of sneaking up there over the past couple of years a little bit, I think. Yep, but I mean that's at the quality of their casting. Well, the quality's the quality gone a lot better. Absolutely, yeah. I mean. And, and so, I mean, like, it's one of those things where it's just, you know, <laughs> comparing anybody's pricing to GW is going to be a silly endeavor because GW is always going to be probably the most expensive on the market. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but like I said, I, I, I look at model pricing and I always compare it over to the historical because I know from a sculpting and manufacturing standpoint, they're right. basically still going to be the same. So yeah, is this, is this good by Warhammer standards? 
probably not. Is it good by the broader market as a whole? It's a little bit above average, but it's not terrible. Okay, right. then I'll buy it, right? Like, yeah. so long as I can still buy plastics and pewters for a good price, 3D printing will not ever destroy that. What it'll mean is it just means that certain things that were never accessible, certain sculptors who never necessarily would have had a market um, <clears throat> can produce stuff and have people buy their stuff that they would have normally never been able to sell to. Oh, and I can pretend to be a tight ass and a penny pincher, but let me tell you, when I do the Sylvan Elf Army, if if I can't find an Elk Lord, I will buy one that's 3D printed or whatever, and I'll spend 100 bucks on that sucker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if I need him, I'll have to get him. <laughs> but with that, um, one last break, and we'll be back to finish up with our wonderful guests, Mr. Kissinus, the executive board member, one of the executive board members for the Ninth Age Project. Be right back. And we're back. And um, so I'd like to thank you so much for being on, Cassandras. You've been a wonderful you. guest. Um, Thanks, just to round things out, like, so how important are donations? Like, there's a big donation button, you know, on the Ninth Age website. Like, how important are donations and what are they used for? primarily as far um, for the project so i mean the number one thing we use donations for is um keeping the, the actual server going um keeping the website going um there's that that's basically where we where we keep you need it for any legal purposes at all or nope so uh we're lucky in that the way we've structured is there's because we there's 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 we're, we're so diversified and we were lucky in that Mr. Owl is an IP lawyer and he made sure that we were very <laughs> nice. It, it, you know, that's again, amazing. And he's another board member, correct? Mr. Owl, yeah, right? Your yeah, nemesis, have, your nemesis our, is an IP lawyer. Okay. Got it. <laughs> we, have, we have our legal team uh -huh. because, um, like the hobby as a whole, there's a diverse group of people who play the game. And right. some of those people have talents in their real life that is helpful to the project, whether that's web designers or lawyers or professional writers or, or what have you. So we're lucky in the sense that, um, you know, we know that we're pretty well secure from, from a legal footing. Um, we're not really too, too afraid of someone sending us a cease and desist letter and telling us to shut the website down. Uh -huh. But the main thing is, is it just means that, um, you know, we, we can, maintain the server costs we can upgrade and update the server to handle traffic and capacity as times change um that's that's like 90 percent of it there uh there's been talk about using um funds or doing a fundraising drive to handle things like marketing or um uh some sort of merch but some of that's again that's that's kind of all stuff that's been like publicly discussed and no one's really acted on we haven't made a decision one way or another we haven't done right. a full analysis of you know does this go against the spirit of the project so um right now the number i guess one there's thing, a lot of fine lines there right so yeah again you know we, we the whole point is it's volunteer driven it's free no one makes a profit off of it so right. anything that we do we, we need to make sure that it maintains within that and that um we can try and give people the experience they're looking for of being fans of a product without actually having to handle the the cost profits sales etc of a product um you know it's it's a volunteer driven thing we want to make sure that it stays a free and completely open free enterprise so you know, the, right 
Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just, I just like I said that's and that's the basic idea. So um, anything else that we do with the funds has to go through that. There's a couple other things like um, so like for example, I personally pay for a uh, a Google Drive storage for some of the backups just oh, so nice. that we have some extra backup of some stuff for um the art and the layout background that seems like uh, a legitimate expense that we picked up from donation money though right yeah i mean i just i you know it's, it's not that expensive i didn't get like the crazy top of the line one it's just a little bit right. extra so that there's something there and i put that in place so that there was a little bit of um extra cloud storage for the project and i just i basically just include it as the cost of the hobby for me um, right you can, hide, you, can, you can hide your porn there so your wife can't find it, right? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, unfortunately, there's a lot of other people who would be able to see it. it um, oh, never mind, never mind. Right. Bad call, bad call. Yeah. All right, yeah, good job. Um, see, that's why I couldn't be a board member, man. <laughs> Isn't that stuff all streaming anyway these days? I don't know. I can't keep up, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, so we, we always want people to donate so that we can help, you know, improve the web infrastructure which is 99 percent of what the project really is is you know it is the forum it is right. the website it is that is how people access download and communicate over the project now now when they ask in the forum for uh for forum feedback or feedback from people like um uh, you know when they ask for suggestions or they ask for ideas and i mean how seriously are they taken are they are, is every idea looked at is every idea <clears throat> So the most important are, are there, thing. Are there, are there some people that they just are like, oh god, it's that guy again? Tim no, Adam so Bradley, just erase I, that, just erase so that shit. But one no. of the other things I do on the project is uh -huh. um, I help mod the the large Ninth Age group for Facebook. Um, there's there's just the group called the Ninth Age, uh -huh. um, and it's I think there's like nine, five. There's a couple thousand people in it. Oh wow! So I'm one I'm one of the moderators for that. I help uh -huh. run the official Facebook page. So right. we get a lot of people trolling and and you know rage posting on that and the thing that i always say is some of those can be really funny though right and when yeah, you watch it's... someone totally lose their mind and blow their brains up it's pretty funny sometimes it, it, it can be but the number one thing i say is just like okay if you disagree we we want that we don't want to do this product in an, in an echo chamber we don't want to design things with nothing but a bunch of yes men sitting around saying yes 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 we right. want it would suck right it wouldn't be exactly. good, it's good. Right. We, we need dissent and we need criticism but what we need that to be is we need it to be specific we need it to be targeted and we need it to be something that we can actually action upon um so just saying like you know militia suck well it's just like what are we supposed to do with that? We can't yeah, actually make I it. I didn't we, post that. I didn't post that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't actually do anything with that. Right. But if you can say, like, you know, here's my list. I provided the militia. They're not working. Here's everything else I'm running in. These are the games right. I'm fighting against. Right. That's my, own private, that's my own private inside joke for the audience to know anyway. But that's, go ahead. But, yeah, go ahead. So, like, that's the thing is, is uh -huh. the more detail and the more action, you know, like, if you say, like, if they were only a little bit better at this, or if they had right. access to this weapon, or if they right. could do this move, even with a penalty to offset, that's something actionable. That's 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 a recommendation of like specifically in the game what we need to change in order to get an output you think you like. Now, doesn't mean we're going to do it, but it's right. a hell of a lot easier for us to actually take into consideration with other changes, designs, updates, than just this sucks. Right, because that's or, kind of rude. Because you're because not only are you saying something sucks, 
and not giving a reason or an explanation or an actual item, but you're expecting other people to actually do the work and come up with an actual item yeah. for you. And which the is pretty lazy is, intellectually, right? To yeah, say and, it's kind of being lazy, right? And we yeah. only have, as I've said, is there's only so much time that the team has because we're all volunteers. So you're expecting right. me in my off time to do all the research to try and see if you're repeated accusations of something being Do militia really suck? Let me do all the research and find out. Yeah, Yeah. so I mean, give us specific, targeted, actionable criticism. It, you, you can, you can be extremely, you can take a book apart piece by piece by piece and say, this is bad because of this. This doesn't work because it can't do this. This doesn't work because of this. Whenever I try it, this is what happens. Like, you can do that and we will take that into consideration and that will be probably bumped much higher up in the the pile because it is that better laid out like if you're going to do it if you're going to if you're going to make a a point of dissent argue it well because we don't have the time to do that argument for you right we we want you to we want that argument but i don't have the time to sit there and figure out why this unit in the vampire covenant isn't any good i don't have the time to sit there and go through right. and figure out why that item in the ochre con book isn't any good and right. neither does half the rest of the team we're right. there to basically we need good feedback that we can work from and about, we want about, it to be decent i've got good feedback make ogre con um make some have weapon skill four <laughs> I, <laughs> that's, my, that's my two cents because one skill three they can't hit shit <laughs> they, they still need their lab book man that's so, true I mean, it's coming, right? Maybe things for some, change. maybe for one unit, it'd be kind of cool. Make it a little bit more elite, right? Bruisers yeah. over tribesmen or something. No, but I think the lab books are great. But that's funny. It's like, where's my KOE book? Why isn't the KOE book? Why isn't the lab? Why are they so lazy? Why aren't they done? It's because they're answering, you know, they're answering, you know, 10,000 emails from Joe Blow about uh, saying militia sucks. You know what I mean? That's why, right? Yeah, and a million other things. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, that's that's the main thing. So when when you're giving feedback, try I mean, try and give the best quality feedback it is. We we don't want you right. to sit there and and say yes. Like we want to know what's not working. Why isn't it working? What can we right. do to make it work? Um, just saying this is too expensive or this unit sucks or whatever. Right. And actually expecting us to do anything with it. Uh, well, the, well, the funny it's thing not is not going to happen. The funny thing is, militia is supposed to suck. It's militia, right? Well, yeah, there's, there's that. Yeah, I mean, that's like complaining that wasn't it's good, complaining right? that rats in your vermin swarm are dying too fast. It's just like they're they're rats in a swarm. How, how come my slaves can't pass a panic test? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Talk to the guy whipping them. Yeah, it's his problem. Right? What are you blaming the lab for? They had nothing to do with it. They weren't on the field. Um, so I think it's going to be cool getting away from Universal Battles. That Warhol looks really good. Like, I've downloaded it and I've played around yeah. with it. I still haven't figured it out. But, um, yep. So I think I think it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, when people are rolling real dice in their hands, you know, how that how that changes this year from, you know, from last year. It's going to be interesting to yeah. see. Well, and, and the nice thing about it is um, a dedicated platform like that, it is a much easier – like, Warhol is so much easier to use. Is it easier Universal... to use? I set it up. Yeah. I look – pretty fun like i put my army from new recruit on there and was playing with it it's pretty yep. neat yeah i played a couple games with it but the nice thing about it is you know that and ub um they allow me to play people i wouldn't normally play right if you don't have anybody in your local area that you can play physical miniatures with you can still get some games in right 
with people around the world that maybe you would never otherwise have an opportunity to play with. I could play with some of the people from the management in Europe that I will probably never realistically play in person just because of geography. You can, you can play a guy from Poland. You know what I yep. mean? Right. Yep. Um, so finishing up, what's the future of Ninth Age? Like, like, do you already have, do you already know what the next books are going to be? Do you have it already have them written down somewhere like the order? Don't tell we, us, but I mean, do you have a general idea of the yeah, order so we, to go? And... Yep, so we, we come up with a short list um, of, of potential books. And, uh-huh. um, you know, basically when, when one book gets a certain point in development where we feel it could, you know, there's, there's enough free resources to start working on the next book, uh, we have a discussion. Um, we talk to the team leads. So it works staff. that quick. So you guys are aggressively pursuing all the books then. Yep. We, okay. we we want to we're players too we want this right. game to be as complete as possible as fast as possible uh-huh. you know you know I, I want to play with an update I want to play an enemy with an updated orcacon book I want to play an enemy with uh, an updated vampire covenant book I may want to collect an updated um, undying dynasties book right. like it we're players too right we're, well, we're not just sitting we're not managers in, a, in an office with suits trying to count beans we we're gamers this is what we want yeah. the no, thing that great. happens is um you know it's the limited amount of resources we have so ultimately um we we pick from the short list we decide which one's going to be next uh we try and get a team assembled and we try and get the the guideline documents written up that help guide for the background and the rules try to put a team together and hopefully get the next book started um right now it's um like i said story and agents are still kind of being worked on um they're not public yet they're still doing their stuff behind the scenes and um kwe's not public yet either right no no it's it's coming up that's why we've uh we've kind of been tweaking the process and again we're constantly adjusting that process to see okay how can we make it work faster how can we work work better Uh how can we avoid burnout how can we make people how can we make it more enjoyable for the volunteers right do the volunteers do they take it personally when they see like people throw up i don't even know what the proper term is like i guess hate on the you know over a minor thing do they you know when oh, yeah. they, you know when oh, you yeah. send out teasers i mean does do they do these volunteers take it personally they talk about does it affect you know their morale you know when it comes to working on things sometimes or for some absolutely um yeah, i mean it seems like you spend like months working with other there's... people on this book and then you know one little thing out of everything you've done, someone's going to jump on it, you know, and trash you. That would kind of yeah, hurt my feelings. Yeah. I mean, and that is one thing that I wish um, the criticism from the community um, was. And again, I, I don't want people to sit there and just say, you know, yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Man, no, other things I disagree with. But it's just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, remember, it's just like some guy literally in some situations, like, gave up holidays and vacation time, right. and family time to yeah. put this together for you the yeah. least you could do is be polite for it and i be and i hope that it. you don't that have to people, like it more people politely disagree yeah. right yeah yeah absolutely um, just because that's that's the reality of of what this is this is this is a passionate gamer within your community put this together for you and is the ninth um, age currently looking for volunteers in all teams pretty much still pretty much yep there's there's um we're always still looking for it the biggest bottlenecks we run into is um is layout and art so if uh-huh. you um if, if you think that's a good fit um apply obviously like anything it's not you know i can't draw a straight line with a ruler so they're out on me yeah well and, and it and it's one of those things where it's just like you know like it's talent matters but being able to work within the team and within the very weird constraints that this web-based team has um it's not for everyone 
And, right. and there's a lot of people who I, I wish it would work well for that just, it, you know, the realities of our situation doesn't. And that's unfortunate. But, you know, for the people who it does work well with, I am super happy and thankful. Um, right. And for the people who are able to put in and, and help volunteer to put this out, I'm super happy to work alongside all of you. Um, yeah. Everybody and, from... and sometimes it doesn't work out. It's no harm, no foul, right? I mean, yeah, it, it's yeah. just it, it's no hard it, feelings it, either way. You don't sit there and, and lose sleep at night thinking no. about how much or how happy you are someone's no yeah, longer with it, the team right exactly and, like and that, my right? my life situation can change tomorrow i could change jobs i could move something could happen right and um i may not be able to volunteer anymore and so i just want to make sure that you know well that's not allowed who... to happen actually it's not allowed to happen we can't let a micromanaging you know crazy nut job get in there okay we gotta we gotta keep it in steady hands well, I'm, I'm I'm glad someone thinks that about me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but no, it's um. Like I said we're, this this project wouldn't exist without the volunteers who put into it. And so, um, by all means, if you think you can play well as a team and you can overcome the issues of the geography and the internet and and help produce it, then you know apply. Doesn't matter how small, whether it's proofreading, translating. And they just um, apply on the forum, right? Yep, you can play on the forum. You can message a team lead directly. Uh, any member of the staff, if you're not too sure on who, you can kind of message them, hey, I'm interested. This is my skill set from my, my day job or my real life. Um, huh? I think I could be of help. Then, you know, you can join in. We There's there's lots of things we need help with. Um, the main thing is, is you've just got to... Um, the, the more you show you can work as a team and deal with the, the, the weird realities of our internet-based project, the, the more likely it is that you can find a, a better fit for your skills over time. All right, cool. I have a question for you. It's non-Ninth Age related. Yeah. It has to do with uh, my demographics and Tommy Tucker, so don't be scared. Uh-oh. What, do you have emo people in Canada, and what the hell is an emo person? This is new to me, right? Never heard of it? Really? You've never heard of emo? No. I've heard uh, of emo prob- elves, but I'm assuming they're a real thing too, right? I mean, I I, I would say yes to both because probably are they like back a terrorist in- organization? Are they like a club? I mean, what are they? I mean, I remember at one time emo was anybody who listened to Dashboard Confessional, and then it turned into people who were like kind of goth but sad, and then it's just it's just like <laughs> so they're like I don't the, know. they're the depressed goth, they're the depressed heavy metal people then. Is that what yeah, it is? I don't. Yeah, I'm guessing so. The whole the the term I think has no like many things has just been thrown around and has no meaning anymore. But right, yeah, I, I think we have them. In, I think we have them in Canada, and I probably would have been classified one at one point when I was in high really? school. Really, you were a depressed goth in high school? No, I just listened to different music that some people associated with it like what for example come on oh uh taking back sunday was a good band that i listened to let's do a little bit of dashboard confessional a bunch of like random indie bands out of you gotta be careful you're gonna you're gonna start looking cool people are gonna think oh i know it's gonna ruin everything for you oh don't worry i'm the furthest thing from cool (laughs) (laughs) well you have to be kind of cool i mean you got two kids right (laughs) (laughs) yeah something going for you apparently yeah my wife still sometimes wonders why the hell she married me she looked at all the stuff that i'm into don't they don't they all don't they all don't you don't you listen to that at all don't you listen to that for one minute all right well hey it's been a pleasure thank you for taking so much time with us um So hopefully some of these guys listening that are new to the Ninth Age or haven't uh, pulled the trigger yet will now get off their asses and go to the website and check it out and see all this uh, hard work you guys have been doing. And um, thank you for staying up late with me. And 
and have a wonderful night. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you on the next episode. This is Bradley. <laughs> Bradley's chat. Later. <laughs>